0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Oh, that's just great. Thank you. It's a bag of Cheetos. If you were not here last week, go listen to last week's sermon. I talked about this diet I'm on, and... uh, lost a significant amount of weight by God's grace, but uh, I talked about falling off the wagon, jumping off the wagon, running alongside the wagon, eating a bag of Cheetos in the process, so uh, there we go. Also worshiping with us this morning, our dear friends uh, uh, Celestin and Bernadette Musakura and their family. Uh, Celestin, would you and Bernadette stand? So there we go, right there, super, welcome, welcome their daughter Providence has been with us the last three years. She finished her family practice residency and uh, take off for Kenya sometime in the next uh, several months. So there we go. So bless you. It's always good to have you, all of you guys. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 8 is the first place you will go to. It's going to take a while to get there, but it's the first place you're going to go to. So We'll do that. You heard the announcement, guys. Uh, Round Rock Express opportunity for dads and dudes. I'll be there. Want you to join me and a bunch of other TBC guys as we uh, take in a ball game together. We've got a whole section of that stadium uh, just for TBC men and uh, their sons, or just guys like me who uh, kids are gone. But we're going to join other men there. If you were a part of Impact in any way, if you brought a meal, if you cooked, if you drove, if you hosted, if your kids participated, if you led anyway, would you stand? Anybody that was a part of Impact at all this past week, would you stand? And uh, we want to say thank you. Thank you. Take a look around. It takes dozens and dozens of us. The gospel went out to over a 1,000 kids in Central Texas this past week in uh, parks and in homes and uh, various uh, areas of our city and clubs and apartment complexes. And we say, to God be the glory, great things he's done. Pray that the message that was heard, the seeds that were planted, would bear fruit for generations to come. Amen. And uh, then uh, Father's Day, let's watch this video, then I'm going to recognize dads. Jim, you got me?
1: I don't care how late you stay out. Stay out as late as you want. You want to borrow the new car? You want to borrow my credit card? Kids today, they really have it rough. I have no idea where we are or where we're going. I mean, when I was their age, life was easy. Super easy. Why haven't you gotten a tattoo yet? How come you don't have any piercings yet? Yep, we're lost. We are completely lost. Do sports. It, it, just do whatever the mechanic says to do. Vehicle maintenance is completely overrated. Look, whatever the mechanic is asking, just pay him. Pay him whatever he wants. I wish they had soap operas at night. I like that boy. You should date him. You should date him immediately. Well, what about the creepy guy with the motorcycle? He's cute. Yeah, sure. Spring break in Tahiti sounds fun. Hey, make sure you get all your video games done before you start your homework. You don't have to pass all your classes. What? You have a project due tomorrow, and you've known about it for four weeks, and you haven't started yet? Sweet! Doesn't anybody want to know if we're there yet? Remember, if you need anything between midnight and 4 a.m., please come wake me up. Hey, I'm on the phone. Could you bring the baby over and let him climb all over me? Hey! Hey! Can you please turn that music up? Well, we just stopped for lunch 10 minutes ago, but yeah, let's stop again. I never have trouble with my toddler. I never have trouble with my teenagers. I never have trouble with my adult children. You know, she's right. We are ruining her life. Yes, more homework to correct. All right, whining. Yay, tantrums. Hmm, vomit. We just really need to spoil these kids more. Sorry, buddy. I don't know any good jokes at all. You're 16. You pretty much know everything now. I think 18's a great age to get married. Okay, remember, make sure you turn on all the lights before you leave the house. Hey, could you leave the front door open for a couple hours? Thanks. Whoa! Money really does grow on trees.
0: (laughs) parody on dads there. Isn't that great? I just love it. If you're a dad, would you stand? If you're a dad, would you stand? We want to recognize you this morning. There we go. I want to pray for you. Keep standing. I want to pray for all the men that are standing. Father, thank you for these men. Lord, to look around a room like this, a church on a Sunday morning filled with men, what an honor. And God, we're grateful for these men. Some of these men need to know Jesus, and I pray that will happen. Some of these men are away from Christ right now. I pray for them. Many of these men walk with Christ and an example of what Jesus looks like to their wives and their kids and their grandkids, and God, I pray you'd continue to keep us on that pathway. God, thank you for strong men. Thank you for a church with strong men, and we pray that that'll continue for generations. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, guys. If you didn't receive a little booklet on the way in, if you'll, uh, if you'll raise your hands, we've got a bunch of those for you. It's a book, uh, little booklet for men. It's entitled, uh, In Your Footsteps, Leaving Your Faith, uh, Your Faith Guide for the Next Generation. So Dad, if you didn't receive one of these on the way in, uh, if you're a dad, raise your hand. We'd like to give you one of these this morning. So most of you must have gotten them. If you didn't, raise your hand high. Keep them high. We'll get you one of these. There we go. Super. There's a table out in the hallway, you can pick one up if you didn't get one, and uh, we'd like to do that. Jesus is, is our summer series, that's what we're looking at. By the way, Father's Day for some is difficult because they have lost fathers this past year. For others, they grew up with abusive or difficult dads, and for others, uh, they want to be dads, and uh, for whatever reason, that's not taking place. So remember them this day as well. I learned a new word a few months ago. We were on vacation in the uh, uh, Grand Canyon. It was on my bucket list, and uh, we went there for uh, a week or so. And uh, as we were there, uh, we were getting ready to go on this little tour, and there was a guy standing there, and the guy looked like my very, one of my very best friends from Dallas Seminary days 40 years ago. And so I literally started walking to him. His name's Dan Boland. Dan ran Pineco for a number of years. I started walking up to him, and when I got right next to him, I got ready to tap him on the shoulder, and I realized it wasn't Dan. But it looked just like him. And so I said, hey, uh, you mind if I do something? You look like one of my very best friends from years ago. you mind if I take your picture and send it to him? The guy said, sure. I don't know if he thought I was stalking him or some kind of predator, but... I many men walk up and say, can I take your picture, dude? But I did it anyway. And uh, so I took his picture, and I sent it to my good friend Dan. And I said, hey, I found your twin over here. And I got a text message right back, and he said, uh, I always wonder if I had a doppelganger. And I said, oh, what? And he said, I always wonder if I had a doppelganger. How many of you know what that word means? Let me see your hand. How many of you say, I've never heard that word, and I could care less what it means? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I honestly, when he sent that to me, I texted him back and said, uh, sounds like you've got some kind of disease. I have no idea what you're talking about. I said, what in the world is a doppelganger? And he said, it's a double, someone that looks like you, uh, someone else that looks just like you. And uh, so I got interested in that, so I started Googling up doppelgangers, and I found <laughs> you, you, can, you can do animal and man doppelganger, and these type of things uh, pop up. I mean... <laughs> people that look like they're animals. I mean, it's pretty amazing to see when you look at these things. I mean, and then you can, you can type in presidents or presidential candidate doppelgangers and this pops up. you got your phones, you can do it. You don't have to take my word for it. I I mean, I I found all this stuff online myself. The ultimate doppelganger is Jesus. He said, what? The ultimate doppelganger is Jesus. The ultimate lookalike is Jesus. You see, the one thing we know about Jesus is, like the Father, is the Son. He's the ultimate doppelganger. I mean, think about it for a second. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Greek word for image there is icon. It's actually a transliteration of the word icon. An icon is a statue or a painting typically representing Christ, or Christ is in it or part of it. It's an icon. He is the image of the invisible, the Son, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Man was made in the image of God, Genesis 126, but through the fall, that image was marred. We are imperfect images. Although through redemption, his image in us is restored, uh, we are able, therefore, through that restoration to reflect the image of God. But Jesus is the perfect image. Jesus is the perfect icon. Jesus is the perfect reflection of God. These thoughts are combined in Hebrews 1, 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. It means to shine forth. He shines forth the glory of God. He is the exact representation. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. In fact, this is a stamp. And if you take a stamp and, or a die either one, and you paste it on a piece of clay, as that is done right there, you get the exact representation of the stamp. You get the exact representation. That's why in John 14, Jesus could say, anyone who has seen me has seen whom? The Father, Jesus is the ultimate doppelganger. He, he he is the one who doesn't reflect God. He is God. We can only reflect God, but He is God. He is more than the reflection of God. He is God Himself. Number of years ago, we had a dog, cute little Schnauzer named Cuddles, and I'll never forget. There was a night when I took Cuddles on a walk. When we go for a walk, I went for exercise. Cuddles went to chase cats. I mean, we had a great time together. It was a full Don't send me your nasty cat emails. I'm only kidding. Uh, kind of. <laughs> it was a full moon and uh, there was this, you know, you're walking along in a full moon and it cast a shadow of myself and our little schnauzer on the ground. But here's the reality. That moon is really a reflection of the sun, isn't it? I mean, the moon does not generate light. The moon only reflects light. And so here is the moon reflecting the rays of the sun down to us on earth, and our shadow was on the ground. So we were reflecting what the moon was reflecting, which was ultimately reflecting the sun. What Jesus, the S-O-N, does is reflect the glory of God because He is the glory of God. Jesus is the ultimate doppelganger. When the first message we did here, we said he is 100% God, 100% man. You see, we can only reflect the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. We can only reflect the glory of God. Jesus is the glory of God. Jesus is all these things. And so when we look at that, we recognize who he is. So when I was preparing this week, I thought I'd really like to combine our Jesus Is series with Father's Day. Normally I do a Mother's Day message or Father's Day message, but I really wanted to combine the two and not get us off track. So like father, like son, the ultimate doppelganger, and that's not the thing, the blank to fill at the bottom of your outline. I'm going to give you something different. So my question as I was studying this week is, Lord, show me some ways where the son is like you. Father, would you show me some ways to communicate to these folks that I love? Some ways where your son is like you are. And I had a pad out and I began to write rather than type. And I saw dozens and dozens and dozens of ways that the son is like the father. So I'm only going to share five of those things with you because we don't have time to do dozens and dozens. I'd be here by myself at a later hour if we did that. So how is the father like the son? Well, first of all, the father is loving. The father is loving. There are a lot of passages I go to show that to you. You're familiar with a lot of those passages. For instance, John 3, 16. Why don't you quote it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, he says, the Lord did not set his affection on you, referring to the nation of Israel, and chose you because you were more numerous than all the people, for you were the fewest of all the peoples but it was because the Lord loved you. Why did he choose you? Because he loved you. Our father is a loving father. Our father is a father who loves the world, who loves his people. And I would say like our father was a loving father, Jesus is a loving son. The son is loving, the father is loving, and Jesus is just like his father. He's the ultimate doppelganger. And the result of that is, as the father is loving, so is the son loving. So is a son loving. Likewise, I could go to a number of places and show you evidences of Christ being one who loves others. I'll just show you two verses. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new command I give to you, talking to the disciples and talking to us as future disciples, love one another, and read that next section with me. As I have loved you. See, here's the new commandment. The new command is, your love for one another is to be the way that I've demonstrated that to you. As I have loved you, that's the way you are to love one another. As I have given myself to you, as I have loved you. You know, when I, st- here's another one, John fifteen nine. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So when we look at Jesus, we see that the Father is loving. John 3, 16, God so loved the world. Deuteronomy 7, I chose you because I love you. And we see that like Father, like Son, that Jesus is loving as well. A new command I give you, as I have loved you. And then in John fifteen nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. You know, as I studied this, first of all, it was a reminder to me. It was a reminder to me to tell you how much I love you. I mean, we're almost 35 years into this deal. And in, in 35 years, my passion for you as a flock, my love for you as a body has only increased. And I don't tell you that enough. I, I mean, we, we, are, we are committed to the grave to this thing. And Bev and I are so grateful for you. And you have been so gracious to us. I, I posted this week, last week, I, I got a report on Wednesday or Thursday, whatever day it was, clear scans once again. And I got hundreds... To him be the glory. But, you know, I get hundreds, literally hundreds of responses. Go to my Facebook page and look at hundreds of responses. And we are so loved, and we want you to know how much we love you. You know, if we're going to reflect the Son and the Father, we're going to love one another. And we just need to let you know that. There are times when we don't tell you enough. Our staff feels the same way. Our staff feels loved and cared for by this body. And folks ask me the hallmark of TBC. There are numerous hallmarks. One is the number of men you just saw stand up. Most churches are filled with women. And gals, we love you. We honor you. But most churches are filled with women this morning. And you look around, you see a lot of dudes. And I praise God for the men who lead their families and who love Christ in his body. Tremendous examples. So if the father is loving and the son is loving, it's a great example to us as dads to be loving to be loving. I put my notes, tell them and show them, dads, tell them and show them. Tell them how much you love them. They'll never get past that. I don't care if you've got adult kids like I do, me and you, let them know how much you love them. If you have little ones, you take them and you throw them in the air, you tell them how much you love them. You whisper in their ears, you're grandpa, grandpa and you've got a great privilege. Let those kids know how much they love for generations to hear of the love. Dan Allender was a uh, protege of uh, Larry Crabb, both Christian psychologists. They've both written numerous books, speak at conferences. And Bev and I were at a conference that Allender spoke at a number of years ago. And he had an episode that just happened in his life recently before that. He said, my dad is a Midwestern handshake kind of guy. He said, whenever we greet, we don't hug, we don't kiss, and we don't say words like I love you. And so when I see my dad, we shake hands and uh, then we, enjoy one another. And he said, the previous Christmas, we were at a spring conference in uh, Virginia. said the previous Christmas, something quite unusual happened. He said, uh, we popped out the car and uh, instead of going to the back seat and grabbing my kids, which he typically does, my dad walked up to the door, put his arms around me and said, son, he whispered my ear, not very loud so nobody else could hear But he whispered in my ear, son, I want you to know I love you. Dan Allender, Christian psychologist, author, speaker, president of a university now. He said, I spent the next hour in my dad's garage weeping, dying to hear those words from a dad. And for some of you, you're good about that. For some of you, you would be in a garage weeping for an hour if your dad told you those words. For some of you, you've got dads that are gone, and you'll never hear those words. But you do have a heavenly father and his son who whispers to you, hey, I love you. You're my son, you're my daughter, you're my beloved, and I love you. And so dads, it's a great opportunity to tell them. It's a great opportunity to tell them. In fact, if you've got kids who are here with you this morning on Father's Day hey, this is a great opportunity to reach over to that son or daughter and just tell them that you love them right now. I'm going to pause for a minute and give you that opportunity. you got a son or a daughter here, great opportunity to do it. Now, if the father of your sons and daughters are here, that would be your husband. If the father of your sons or daughters are here, why don't you do the same thing? Why don't you let that dad know how much you love him and thank him for being the dad that he is, okay? So dads, we should tell them, but words not backed up with actions are hollow. Can I say that again? Words not backed up with actions are hollow. So display it in your actions. Display it in your actions. Moody Bible article a few, or Moody Magazine article a few years ago, last paragraph says this, until the accident, I thought my dad loved me only because I was pretty. I was 16 years old. I had a wreck. It was my fault. And I was disfigured. There was glass on my face. I could feel the blood dripping down. I was taken to the hospital by ambulance. My dad came running into the room. He looked at me and then he looked away and he looked at me again and I said, Dad, look at me and tell me you love me. Just tell me you love me. She says, I'll never forget what happened next. My dad bent over, And with the shards of glass and the blood dripping down my face, he pressed his lips against my cheek and said, I always have and I always will. You know, that's what the Father does for us. I always have and I always will. And that's a blessing for every one of us. You may not have a dad like I was privileged to have or do have, who spoke those things into my life and the privilege we've had of speaking those things into our kids' lives and the privilege of speaking to our grandkids' lives. But you can change that in your family if you didn't have that. You can be that kind of man. And I pray that, that you will speak it, and you will show it. Now, it's not always easy. I mean, it's not always easy as a guy's. I mean, there are days when we're thinking, man, loving him isn't gonna be as easy as I think it is. One dad uh, related that, he said, as ham sandwiches go, this was perfection a thick slab of ham, a fresh bun, crisp lettuce, tomatoes, and expensive light brown gourmet mustard. The corners of my jaw were aching in anticipation. I carried to the picnic table in our backyard as we were having a 4th of July celebration. I, I picked it up with both hands, but my wife stopped me before I could sit down, and she said, would you hold Johnny while I go and fix my sandwich? Johnny was six weeks old. So I had him balanced between my left elbow and my shoulder and I was reaching for my ham sandwich and I noticed a streak of mustard down my finger. (laughs) It's not always easy being a loving dad. I had no napkin, so I reached down and licked it off. It was not mustard no baby has ever been put down faster in the history of the world it's the first time that I sprinted with my tongue protruding from my mouth I found a washcloth and I did the shoe shine thing on my tongue the whole time my wife came back hysterically laughing and she said now you know why it's called poop on wow It's not always easy being a loving father, but uh, away we go, right, guys? And so, hey, like father, like son. The the father's loving. The son is loving. The father is encouraging. The father's encouraging. Jesus being baptized. At the time, Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee, was baptized by John of the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, the spirit descending like a dove, and a voice from heaven. This is the father speaking words of encouragement to the son. You are my son whom I love, and with you I'm well pleased. Now, did God the Father need to say that to Jesus? No. But here was a father encouraging his son as he set off for ministry, knowing that death and the the cross and death was ahead of him. And he spoke words of encouragement to the life of that son. Words of encouragement. Encouraging words. Well, the son is encouraging a lot of places we could go to do this. John fourteen one, the disciples. Jesus just told them that he's going to Jerusalem. He's going to die, and he's going to leave them. Jesus encouraged them and says, "Hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me." The end of that John fourteen section, he says, "Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I, I give it to you not as the world gives." Don't let your heart be troubled. Twice Jesus encourages the disciples in a very distressing time. Hey, you don't have to be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. The world offers you peace in many places today. But I'm going to tell you the only true peace is found in Jesus. Some of you are looking for peace in the wrong places. I mean, you're looking for peace in the wrong places. The next hookup, the next drink, the next pill, the next vacation, the next purchase. And you think it's going to bring you peace, but that peace is only temporary. And if you know Christ, it's filled with guilt and shame as well. Versus when you walk with Christ and press into Christ and love the Savior and honor the Savior and walk with the Savior, you find a peace that passes all understanding that the world could not explain even in times of distress but don 't miss what we 're saying here what, what 's taking place here or or is encouragement from the Father to the Son and then from the Son to his disciples dad's this is a great opportunity for us or a great illustration to us of being encouraged as well. We should be the biggest cheerleaders for our kids, should be the biggest cheerleaders for our kids, sons and daughters. We should cheer them on to the finish line. We should be applauding them and honoring them and loving them and just be those who make sure that they hear words of encouragement from us, words of encouragement. Your presence means a lot. Physically being present. Cindy, age eight, wrote this. During my piano recital, I was on the stage and I was scared. I looked at all the people watching me and I got even scarier. Then I saw my daddy. He was waving and smiling. I wasn't scared anymore. Do you hear what's being said there? Hey, all these people, I was still scared. When I saw my dad out there, my world was right. Never underestimate the power of your presence. Hey, that place where you work, wherever it is, Scott and White, you die tomorrow, they're not going to shut it down. Some of you are disappointed to hear that. T-I-S-D, B-I-S-D, S-I-S-D, A-I-S-D, all the ISDs in the area, they're not going to shut it down if you die tomorrow. McLean's, Wilson Art, whoever, whoever I'm missing out there, but I tell you who's going to miss you the most, those people in the house with you. And so make sure that you're investing where you need to be investing. You know, the words of encouragement, words of encouragement. Not like this older guy. This older gentleman was on the operating table awaiting surgery. He insisted that his son, a renowned surgeon, perform the operation. As he was about to get the anesthesia, he asked if he could speak alone to his son. Son said, yes, dad, what is it? Son, don't be nervous. Do your best. If the surgery doesn't go well and I don't make it, just remember this. Your mother's going to come and live with you and your wife. I don't know what kind of encouragement that is, but I bet he took his time. (laughs) Encouragement. Hey, dads need encouragement too. Dads need words of encouragement too. So let's flip this thing. If your dad is here, once you give him a word of encouragement, just reach over and speak into his ear. If your dad is here this morning, I'm going to watch you go ahead. Just thank him for being your dad. Thank him for being here. You can get up and move if you want to. Just, Just reach over and thank your dad for being your dad, for being here with you. Go ahead. Take a minute and do it. Okay, it's a great time. Watch this video real quickly about dads needing encouragement and why we need it.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please direct your attention to the dance floor while the beautiful bride shares a dance with her father. Hold him close, hold him tight, the moon slowly take over all night. The sky's never been clearer than now. To me... Wow. What a wedding, huh?
2: <sighs> I'm just trying to take it all in.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah.
2: Thanks for all of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely, honey. I mean, it really was magical.
2: Not just tonight, Dad. But all of it. For always being there for me... For never giving up on me. <laughs> like that time I was dating Brad.
3: Oh.
1: Thank God he's not the one here tonight. See many
2: lovely nights we started shine as far as I could see. It's like you always get me. More than anyone else. You be remember when I was in college and I was asking you all those god questions?
1: Oh, I remember that face, yeah.
2: <laughs> you didn't freak out.
1: I knew I didn't have all the answers.
2: You didn't need to. I love you, Dad.
1: Holding close, holding tight. Daddy?
0: Daddy?
3: Daddy?
1: I am so sorry, honey. I was daydreaming a little bit. Know what? What?
3: When I grow up, I want to marry a man just like you. Holding close,
1: holding tight, let the moon slowly take over on the night. The sky has never been clearer than now.
0: Hey, that's why it's hard to be a dad sometimes. You know, you raise them and then you send them off with uh, some dude to be with the rest of their life and by God's grace, hopefully you've pointed them in that direction. And God gives your daughter a godly man and your son a godly woman. There's nothing like it. We're privileged to see that. Well, the son, the father is also forgiving for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his love for those who fear him as far as the East is from the West. So has he removed our transgressions from us. He's a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. Jesus is a forgiving son. He's a forgiving son. John chapter 8, the passage you have in your hand before you, talks about the woman who's caught in adultery. They wanted to stone her. Jesus saves her. They wanted to kill her. Jesus doesn't condemn her. In fact, when she comes, they drag her in front of Jesus. She's a disheveled mess. She's caught in the act of adultery, the scriptures say. They, they, they look at Jesus and, and really she's bait in a trap. They're trying to get Jesus what they're trying to do. She's merely bait. They want to trap Jesus. Jesus looks at her, she looks at them, and you remember what Jesus does, he begins to write in the sand. It's a mystery to what he wrote. He was writing to them, not to us, and so we don't know what he writes. Maybe he wrote the names of the men who are standing there, maybe he began to list the sins of the people standing there, we don't know what it is, but they're waiting for him to give an answer, they're waiting for this sermon to well up, they're waiting for him to do something about this woman who in their mind deserves death, and what Jesus does, he turns to the crowd, do you remember those famous words, every one of you know them, he who is what? without sin, cast the first stone. And all of a sudden you hear the thud of rock after rock after rock. And the scriptures say from the oldest, they begin to go away. The oldest may because they were the wisest or maybe because they were the most guilty. We don't know why. And Jesus is now alone with this woman, the lawgiver and the lawbreaker, the lawgiver and the lawbreaker. And he says, woman, we are the ones that condemn you? And she says, there are none. And she's waiting for this sermon to gather up and well within the savior but the savior looks at her and says i do not condemn you go and sin no more and the lady leaves scriptures don't tell us much about that lady we don't know what happened to her in my mind i picture her 20 30 years down the road maybe the tears didn't come that day but they come later when she tucks her kids in bed remembering that day she met Jesus because had she not met him, this day would not have happened. As she watches her husband take his lunch pail to work, recognizing if she had not met Jesus that day, she wouldn't have a husband. And so she worships from her kitchen window as she sees her husband and her kids taking off for school and work, knowing that Jesus is a forgiving God. And the result of that is we have to be forgiving people. Forgiveness you know, some of us had to forgive difficult things. Those two folks sitting right there have forgiven greater than perhaps anybody in this room. I've told you before, I was called to do a funeral for Celestin's family. They were murdered in Rwanda. It was, a, it was a funeral for your mom, your dad, your sister, her husband, and their kids. And I'll never forget, I'm given the opportunity to speak at Dallas Seminary. Uh, it was a great day. Chuck Swindoll was the undercard, I was the main event. <laughs> a great day. He was to pray, I was to preach. But the greatness of that day is when I picked up the bulletin that was placed in my hand, and at the end of that, these dear folks had written these words, to those who've taken the ones we love, we forgive you. I well up every time I read that. I keep it in my office. The end of that story is a great ending. We went in Rwanda, what, four years later, three years later, four years later? Well, actually, a few months later, he learned his mom had survived. All these bodies had been cast into a pit. The mom had her youngest grandbaby. They pretended they were dead, and uh, they get word a couple of months later that mom was alive. We had done her funeral. So four or five years later, we go to Rwanda together, and uh, this little lady about this high comes walking up to us, and she speaks Kirwandan, which I don't, and uh, she looks at me, and it's Celestine's mom. And Elton said, You're the only person I've done a funeral for, and they're still alive. <laughs> and we had a great reunion, just a great reunion. But if you want to talk to somebody about forgiveness, you talk to Celestine and Bernadette Musakora. God's a forgiving God. Our Father corrects, the Son corrects. Discipline, correction, not abuse, but done in the right way. He corrects us. The Father is caring. Many, many places I could take you in the Scriptures. He tends to his flock like a shepherd. He gathers his lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that are young. And the son is carrying Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish I could gather you like children together as a hen would gather her chicks under her wings and you are not willing. You see, the father is a loving shepherd and Jesus is a loving hen. Last week, one of the men asked his son on the way home, what did you learn from Pastor Gary's sermon? So I learned Pastor Gary is always hungry. That's what he learned. <laughs> so we were teasing this week. I said, your son, to ask him on the way home. What he learned." Well, God is a, is a shepherd and Jesus is a chicken. That's what they're going to learn this week from this passage. But here's the reality. He is, just as the, fa- the father's like the son, he is the ultimate doppelganger. Actually, what he is, we're going to go past that, Jesus is a reflection of the father. He's a reflection of the Father. He is the ultimate doppelganger. And as men, that's what we need to be as well. I've told you that every week, Skip, would you join me up here? I've told you every week we're going to have a testimony from one of our folks. And so I wanted somebody who's a father in our congregation to come and tell a story. Would you welcome my friend Skip Caruth to the stage?
3: Warden. So I am a father. Um, I did not grow up with a father. My dad was an absentee dad. He traveled a lot when we were young. He wasn't around. I actually only remember two occasions, ever anything about him. And uh, he drank and smoked and worked himself literally to death at the age of 40. And at 10 years old, uh, without a dad, and the oldest child in the family who uh, had their mind right. My sister had some serious problems. Um, I had to grow up and uh, take care of my mom, take care of the house. Uh, She needed me to do some other things along the way, and so I had my first job at the age of 12 working in an apartment complex. I had my uh, second job uh, in every summer for the uh, first three years of my teenage life working in Ohio. And uh, at the age of 16, came back, and I had learned a few things along the way. Uh, so one of the things I'd learned was that uh, you have a good attitude, and you use the right words, you can manipulate adults into most anything. And uh, so I could become successful by how I treated people, the attitudes that I expressed, and, uh, and I used that to my advantage. Now, I grew up uh, not in a church family, but my mom somehow had this idea that church was a good thing. So uh, uh, every Sunday, she would drop me and my two youngest brothers off at church. And uh, so we went, we sat down, and, and this church was a rather traditional church. And uh, so I developed this great picture of God. Here's my picture. I was actually studying Zeus and Greek mythology. And Zeus, if you've ever seen a picture of Zeus, uh, had a big flowing beard, sat on a throne, he had lightning in his hand. And a trident or some sort of sword in the other hand. And uh, he cast judgment instantaneously without remorse. And uh, this is what God was like. This is what God was like to me. And I had no idea about a loving God. I just had an idea about a judgmental God. And uh, so I did my best to avoid confronting God. And uh, we snuck around and did things. Now the reason my mom took me to church and dropped me there is she knew there were good kids there. I don't know what her definition of good kids were, but to me, the definition of a good kid were those were the kids who would sneak the alcohol and the pot better than the kids who weren't. So uh, so we grew up in a time, uh, and this was the uh, uh, early 70s, uh, so some of you guys grew up in that time already know what I'm talking about. Um, so I had a misconception of God, I had a misconception of, uh, of people and relationships, and uh, so coming out of that... Um, When I was in high school, uh, 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 the brother of a girlfriend that I had, who was a believer, uh, started praying for me, and uh, he was trying to tell me something about this, and he kept using this phrase that was completely foreign to me. He said, Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. Well, I don't know about you, but Zeus does not have personal relationships with anybody. And I absolutely could not grasp the concept. It was completely foreign to me. So he might as well have been telling me that The Rock did. Until this theologically powerful movie came out, Oh God. <laughs> oh God was a story of, uh, of God who came in the form of this, uh, this wise old man who was played by George Burns. John Denver was his assistant supermarket manager. And uh, he shows up uh, to teach him something about God. But the thing that hit me was in spite of the power of the theology in the movie, which I'd never let my kids watch, um, I understood something about a personal relationship. And out of that experience, I gave my life to Christ. I went on to school at Texas A&M, graduated in 1982 with a mechanical engineering degree. And um, But the one thing of all the things I learned in school that it didn't help me with, it did not help me learn to be a husband, and it didn't help me learn to be a father, and I had examples of neither. But he brought me Lori. Now I was messed up, but, but she was a strong woman. And uh, she helped me through a lot of very difficult things, and I almost blew the relationship. And we came this close to getting divorced, but God saw that I needed something. He brought some, a young couple into our lives who were strong believers, and they coached us, and they helped us, and they walked through it with us, and they helped us get established. And so God saw that. He saw my need for that. And uh, then in 1985, we came to Temple. And we joined Temple Bible Church. There was probably 80 people here. So this little front section right here, and uh, we were meeting at the Mayburn Center, and, uh, and there were men who were committed to Christ, who wanted to make an impact, who wanted to be different than everything else that was in the world, and I was surrounded by them. And I was encouraged and strengthened to become something I could not otherwise be. And so God the Father became the God, the, the Father for me. And I had the example of men around me who taught me how to be a dad, who taught me how to be a husband, and it was powerful. So, um, 1986, I had my first child. His Jared. He was um, born as the first time since before my father passed away that I cried. And uh, the day he was born, I now I cry all the time. So, just forgive me <laughs> on that. As you can see, I've learned that lesson pretty well. Um, anyway, I was scared to death of what it meant to be a father and how to raise this, this boy. And I knew that I had no preparation for it. But, again, the men that were around me surrounded me, those who had learned, those who knew. And I began to study scripture. And, and, and God loved me enough to teach me all the things I didn't know from a heavenly, from an earthly father. So, uh, so that was a powerful thing in my life. And then I, uh, I kind of struggled a little bit. I struggled balancing my work and my, my family life, and, my, and, and I got out of kilter. And so God, who loved me, did another thing. He sent us to Egypt. In fact, my whole family sent to Egypt. I think you spell it O-R-E-G-O-N, but it's the same place. <laughs> the reason God sent the Israelites to Egypt was they were a unique people in a culture that wouldn't bring them into their culture, but rather they grew in their relationship with God. And that's what he did for us in Oregon. And he built our relationship as a family there, restoring it, strengthening it. And then we came back to Texas after leaving Egypt, and, uh, and we were established as a family. So by then I had three children, and, uh, and things were moving along uh, at, a, at a quite different pace. But here's the thing I want you to know. God took us through many trials after that. Some of those trials were my children's trials. And it was hard. It was difficult. But every place along the way, God was with us. God was there teaching and training, showing us life, showing us how to to make it through these things. And his love and his strength and his Caring arms expressed through the people and the lives around us helped us make it through it. And the end, at the end, I have the handprint of God on me, not because of who I am, because he, of who He is. And even though you might grow up with out a father, even though you may have a poor example for a father, you have a heavenly father who loves you and will do that for you. And I just really thank Him today. My family's here. All but my youngest son is here, and my grandchildren are here. And that legacy that I said, we're going to start new. I didn't have a legacy of, of a generation or multiple generations of those who walked. I was the start, and we're raising a family. We're starting a new legacy, and I'm so thankful they're here to share it with me this morning. So thank you, Jesus, and thank you for coming. So.
0: So I asked Skip to do this several weeks ago, actually, I know him well, and uh, we had spent some time together, and I knew of his desire to create this legacy within his family, not having had a father to do it, so I thought, well, I need to verify this, so Skip didn't know this, but I asked Jillian weeks ago, she'd prepare and come up here and talk about her dad for a second. So Jillian, come and join me. Jillian's husband is Andy, the guy with the cap on that plays drums sometime. Andy from Ireland over there, so uh, Jillian, take it away.
2: All right. Good morning. Um, For those of you who've been here a while, you know that Gary has always talked about how we need to share um, our testimonies with our children. And I realize you just shared your testimony. However, you have shared it many times before that. And growing up, I always knew your story and knew um, how you came to Jesus and how that has impacted your life. So I'm just here to tell everyone that... um, all of you know that if you don't do that, then Gary's going to show up at your funeral, at the, at the visitation or whatever, and he's going to thump you on your dead head, right? We've all heard that. <laughs> so, your head is safe from being thumped <laughs> by Gary. So, um, and I just wanted to tell you that you have done all of those things. You've been loving. You've been encouraging. You have corrected us with grace and with love. And. Um, we would not be the people we are today without you. And um, you always talked about growing up the, in the genealogy of the Bible. There are so many names listed when they list them. There's like 95% of them you can't even pronounce. And um, there's commas in between a lot of names because they couldn't list them all because there's too many people. And you always said that you were comfortable and okay with being a comma if uh, we were the ones or our grandchildren or our Great-grandchildren were the ones that had their name listed, but I'm here to tell you that if our genealogy was listed in a book, Skip Cruth would be in there. And so I thank you for the legacy that you are leaving for us and for my my daughter Clara and for your other grandchildren. So thank you.
0: Thank you.